So our reading this morning is from Mark's Gospel, uh, chapter 1, verses 14 to 20. And you can find this on page 1002 of the Church Bibles. Mark, chapter 1, verses 14 to 20. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Good morning, everyone. If you haven't met me before, my name is Tom, and uh, if you want to keep uh, your Bibles open there at Mark chapter 1, why don't we pray and we'll get started. Let's pray. Loving Father, we thank you so much uh, that you speak to us. We thank you that in your mercy you sent your son to die for us. Father, thank you that he now calls us uh, to come to him, uh, to be forgiven, and to follow him, uh, to live with him as our Lord. We pray this morning for soft hearts as we listen to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. (laughs) Well, friends, the question that we're asking this morning is, what does it look like uh, to serve Jesus as my king? Uh, Last week, Simon helpfully uh, showed us from those first two verses uh, that were read out to us this morning, 14 and 15, uh, that Jesus is the king of God's kingdom. Uh, He comes onto the scene and he announces the time has come, the kingdom of God is near. And so it helped us to see that if Jesus is the king of God's kingdom, then that requires a response. And we see the response there, repent and believe the good news. Uh, We were were told that to repent means that we are to turn around. I'm I'm going this way, I'm living my life apart from God, in sin, rejecting God, and I need to stop, I need to turn around, and I need to now head the other way towards Christ. And this is a fundamental part of the gospel message, that Jesus is Lord of my life. And therefore, if if I am to come to King Jesus, if I'm to be forgiven by King Jesus, if I'm to be made new by King Jesus, then I also need to follow King Jesus. And that's what we're going to be uh, thinking about this morning. What does it look like to follow Jesus as my king, to serve him as king? And Mark, very helpfully, straight after this, shows us that Jesus goes on to call certain people to come and follow him. And so as we look at this passage this morning, we're going to be looking in at what it will mean for us to follow Jesus as our king. Uh, Two very uh, simple points today. What, What does it look like to follow Jesus as king? First of all, we are called to follow. And secondly, we are sent to fish. Called to follow, sent to fish. 
So first of all, we are called to follow. Uh, In our passage, we are given two instances where Jesus walks alongside and he sees uh, people in in their everyday lives and he calls them to follow him. So first of all, we have Simon and his brother Andrew. They're just casting a net into a lake. Jesus comes along, verse 17, come, follow me. Uh, Then in verse 19, he goes a little farther. He sees James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. And without delay, he calls them calls them to follow him. And I think there's two things that Mark is helping us to see about this call to follow Jesus. First of all, the call is authoritative. Now, did you notice in verse 18, Jesus calls his disciples to follow him. Verse 18, at once they left their nets and followed him. I mean, that, that's quite amazing, isn't it? Can you imagine sort of you're at work and, and so, you know, somebody's in their office and, and a random guy just sort of walks along and says, oh, righto, come follow me. And they drop everything. They leave the office, leave the building, never to be seen again. It's a powerful call that Jesus has on these people's lives. Now, what are we meant to take away from this? I don't think that this is meant to teach us that the response to Jesus is always instantaneous. You know, sort of the, the moment that, uh, that, that you become a Christian has to be banged straight away. It's either like that or it's not like that at all. I, I don't think that's the case. And, and the Bible doesn't seem to suggest that either. For some people, yes, becoming a Christian is, is straight away, is instantaneous. For other people, it takes a long time, doesn't it? Uh, that, that was my story when I was uh, growing up. I wasn't a Christian. Became a Christian when I was a teenager, but it took, I'm a bit slow, it took me a couple of years of sort of looking into the Bible, checking out who Jesus is uh, before I, I came to put my trust in him. Uh, so, so I don't think the point is to say that when you become a Christian, it has to be instantaneous. Rather, I think the point that's being underlined here is the authority, the power of Jesus's call. And that's actually something that we see all throughout the first chapter of Mark's gospel. So after this, we see that Jesus has authority over impure spirits. And we see he has the authority to heal people's diseases. He has the authority in teaching. At the start of chapter 2, we even see he has the authority to forgive sins. And what's on view in this first chapter is the incredible authority of the king of God's kingdom. And what do we see here in our passage? Well, Jesus has authority even over me and you. If he wants somebody, he can call them and say, follow me, and they will drop everything, turn and follow. Jesus has powerful authority to call us. Now, it's interesting because I think that's actually the opposite to the way that our world thinks of Jesus, the way our world thinks of God. I think most people today kind of imagine God as an old, senile man who's got himself lost somewhere. And us very rational, intelligent, Western, you know, 21st century people, we, we in our great, you know, minds are going to discover him and work him out for ourselves. First, we'll work out if he's even there, if he even exists. And then if he does, we'll work out what he's like. And, and, and that's kind of the view that people have of God today. Uh, God is lost And we need to find him. And of course, the problem with thinking like this is that it turns the tables on us and Jesus. And no longer is Jesus the authoritative king of God's kingdom. No, we're the ones in charge. We're the brilliant ones. We're the great minds that have worked him out. 
and it changes the way that we think about Jesus. You know, if I want to follow you, uh, maybe I will. If I have time and, and what you're saying kind of agrees with my life, then I'll get on board and maybe I'll follow you. But I'm the one in the driving seat. I'm the one in charge. That's the way the world thinks uh, when it comes to following Jesus. I think this passage encourages us to see things the other way around. Uh, We don't find God, he finds us. Jesus isn't lost, we are. We don't call Jesus, he calls us. And it's very helpful, particularly today, if you are somebody who does trust in Jesus, if you do follow King Jesus, helpful to understand it may have been over a long process, it may have been a time of great discovery and inquiry for you, But when you take a step back and you look at the big picture, the reason that you follow Jesus is because of his authoritative call on your life. He called you into his service. He is the king. He is in charge. And when he calls us, we drop everything and follow him. This flows on to the second thing we see about Jesus' call to follow, and that is that it's not just authoritative, but it's total So notice the response in verse 18. At once they left their nets and followed him. Simon and his brother Andrew, they left their nets and followed him. Later on in verse 20, without delay, James and John, they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Now, did you notice that? That when you follow Jesus, following Jesus involves also a leaving behind, doesn't it? Okay, James and, and John, they left their father. Simon and Andrew, they left their nets. Now, what's the significance here? Well, again, let me be clear, this is not saying uh, that, uh, that Jesus is calling on everybody to abandon their job or abandon their family. Sorry, you, don't, you still have to go to work on Monday. Uh, Christianity is not a cult that says that you, you, know, you can't do anything that you were doing in, in the past. And, and we know this because when we look at the rest of the New Testament, we see that that's not the picture of the Christian life that we're given. We see that there were Christians who continued on in their jobs. The Apostle Paul encourages us, when you work, uh, when you work, work with all your heart, as if you're working for the Lord. Uh, the Apostle Paul teaches us that it, those who don't look after their own families are worse than unbelievers. And so the point here uh, is not that followers of God's king must abandon their jobs or abandon their family. Rather, I think the point is one of priority, Remember, Jesus is the king of God's kingdom. He's the Messiah. He's the son of God. And he's just announced that the kingdom of God is near and that we need to repent and follow him. And that means that Jesus always comes first. For Simon and Andrew, Jesus came even before their job. For James and John, Jesus came, Jesus comes first even before their family. And I think it's, it's actually very relevant for us today that the two examples that we're given here, the two examples of Jesus taking priority over our life, has to do with our work life and our family life. Because at least in Australia, I'm not sure if it's the same in England, you can come and tell me afterwards, but at least in Australia, I think these are two of the things that we idolise today, our work and our family And we're being told in this passage that in both areas, actually, Jesus comes first. So let's think about uh, both of these areas for a second. Let's think about our work life. 
Simon and Andrew, they leave their nets to follow Jesus. They put Jesus before their work. What does it look like for us to put Jesus first? I think it's fair to say that so much of our identity today is tied up in our job. Uh, my, My wife and I, we went to our son's first birthday party that he was invited to, which was very exciting being here. We got to meet some new people and we met all these new parents from the school. It was a lot of fun. And the question that we were constantly asking each other as we met each other was, oh, well, what do you do? That's the question you ask, isn't it, when you meet someone new? What do you do? And the reason we do that is, is because what we do, what our job is, really defines us. There's so much of our identity is tied up in that. And of course, if our identity is tied up in our work, then you want to look really good, don't you? Uh, You want to be the best in your field. You want that recognition from your peers. You want that promotion. You want at your kid's birthday party to be able to say, well, actually, I'm the CEO of a transnational corporation or something like that. I don't even know what that is. Uh, I'm a doctor at Adambrooks. Uh, I'm a PhD student at Cambridge. You know, just think that you're very important and look very good. Uh, You want that. You want to look important. And if you're a Christian... If you follow Jesus, the danger is, is that your work life can end up taking the spotlight and Jesus gets pushed to the side. Not that you would abandon Jesus, not that you would give up on Jesus, but just that he's not that important to you anymore and that your work life is actually what matters most. I'm told that the word career comes from the French carrière. Simon told me I got that. Mildly right, the pronunciation. Carrière. And and, and that word means course or track. And and that's what a career is, really, isn't it? It, It's a course. It's a pathway, a track that you are on. And it's very easy for this track to define your life. It sets the goals for you. It tells you where you're headed in life, if you're going well in life or not. I think if I could be bold enough to say, for Christians, I don't think we should think of ourselves as having a career in that sense. Because when you become a Christian, he calls you off that track. Now, that's not to say that you necessarily change jobs or you stop doing what you're doing, but that is no longer the path that defines your life. That is no longer the track that you have set out where all your goals are. No, you're on a new track now, a new pathway, the kingdom of God. And your work life must now fit into this new track, not the other way around. There's a lady that my wife and I know called Shan Shan. Uh, She's Taiwanese and uh, she came to live in Australia with her parents uh, when she was very little. She moved from Taiwan. And uh, when she grew up, she did what every migrant parent desperately hopes for their children. She became a doctor. And uh, while she was studying medicine at university, something else happened something that wasn't part of her parents' plans, she also became a Christian. She read the Bible with some Christians. She put her trust in Jesus. And she ended up marrying an Anglo-Christian guy, and they both went off to study at Bible college. And in July this year, they actually moved overseas to become missionaries back in Taiwan. And I have to say, this broke her parents' hearts. Uh, They had sacrificed everything so that their daughter could have the opportunities that they didn't have. And here she was, giving up on the job 
of a lifetime, taking the grandchildren with her and going back to the country that her parents worked so hard to get her away from. And her parents just could not understand, why would you do that? What could possibly motivate you to want to go back to that country? But of course, for us, it was obvious because she had been called and leaving her nets, she follows Jesus and puts him first. Now, that's not to say that everyone here who believes in Jesus should give up their job and become a missionary. Although, before you discount that idea, have you thought about it? You know, if you are uh, someone who has uh, those giftings, if other people have encouraged you to think about it in the past, have you seriously thought about whether you could give up your job, give up your career uh, to go share the gospel, whether here in the UK or abroad? Would you be willing to do that? But even for the overwhelming majority who don't leave their jobs, this is still a word for you. Because in your work, you are still called to put Jesus first. It's worth pausing and reflecting on your own work life, your own nets that you have to mend. Are there people at your work who ask you to do something that Jesus commands you not to do, whether it's fiddling with the figures or lying to a client? Are you putting Jesus first? Has the lure of a promotion meant that you work so much that you no longer really have time to meet regularly with your church family? You're missing out on church on Sunday and Bible study during the week and it's having an impact on your life. Are you putting Jesus first? The call of Jesus to follow is authoritative and it is total at once they left their nets and followed him. Well, that's work life. Let's very quickly think about family. Again, I'm not sure if this is the way it is in the UK, but it is in Australia. You can tell me otherwise. But in Australia, we kind of have a love-hate relationship with family in our culture. Uh, On the one hand, it's almost a rite of passage for kids to get away from their parents as quickly as possible and kind of find their own identity and their own way in the world and just occasionally call their parents or FaceTime them. Uh, On the other hand, also in our culture, perhaps more than other cultures, we tend to idolise our children Uh, obsess over them. They're our precious little darlings that can do no wrong. And, uh, you know, at least in Australia, we hear all the time psychologists warning of the dangers of this sort of helicopter parenting where parents do everything and anything for their children and obsess over them constantly. And they're idolising them. They're putting their kids before anything else. Now, it's important to love and care for your kids. But that drive for your kids to be successful, for them to have every possible opportunity they could have, the danger for us is that that can take priority over Jesus. Maybe it's worth thinking about. Are you running around as a chauffeur for your children five or six afternoons a week to the point where your family actually no longer has time to read the Bible together or come to church or kids or for your kids to go to youth group? What matters more to you, the spiritual health of your children how they are going in their walk with Jesus or how they're going at school or in dancing or in the rugby field or playing clarinet. If you were to ask your children, if they looked at your life, 
Who do they see as coming first in your life? Do your kids see the example that you set, that Jesus comes first even before them? Uh, When I became a Christian, um, there was an older Christian man in our church who played a really big part uh, in in encouraging me in my faith and really showing me what it looks like uh, to be a Christian. Uh, He was an ordinary guy, ran a a truck transmission company, uh, married with three sons. But just occasionally, there were little things that I would see that would just show me how he put Jesus first in his family. Uh, So he would help out at church a lot. Uh, He was a warden, and he was basically the fix-it guy. I feel like every church has one of these, you know, the guy that you kind of just fix everything, and he's always called on to whenever a job needs doing. Anyway, he was that guy. And uh, whenever he had a job to do, one of the things I noticed was he'd bring his sons along with him. So he had to mow the lawn on Saturday. His three sons would be there with him. They weren't always happy about being there with him, but they were there with him, mowing the lawn, uh, edging the grass, raking things up. And he was actually demonstrating to them, we put Jesus first in this family. And when it was time to send them to school, uh, he had to make a choice. Now, the local schools in our area weren't that great. This is high school. They weren't very good. And so he wanted to send, him, send them to a private school. And he was going to send them to Trinity Grammar, sort of one of the, the kind of posh elite schools. I think public schools, you call them here. We just call them private schools. Um, and he was going to send them there. But in the end, he decided that he was actually... Uh, it was going to cost so much money that he was going to send them instead to one of the cheaper Anglican schools so he could give more money away for the gospel. Now, again, I'm not trying to tell anybody what they should do or how they should live their life, but isn't that a great encouragement of somebody who is putting Jesus first, even in that sacred, uh, sacred part of our culture of family life where we always put our kids first? Jesus calls us to follow, it is authoritative, and it is total. That's called to follow. Very quickly, we are also sent to fish. Uh, So when we're told that Simon and his brother Andrew were fishermen, we're told that Jesus comes to them and says, come follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. It's a nice play on words, isn't it? I think it sounds even better when you say fishers of men, because like fishermen, fishers of men. It's a nice play on words that, that it's going on here. And it's a very simple point that Jesus is making, that when you become a follower of Jesus, every single one of us is also given a job. We are to go out and to tell other people about Jesus. We are all sent to evangelize, to share the gospel. I really do love the play on words that Jesus uses here. I wonder if you've ever thought, why does he do that? You know, is he just being clever? Does he like that sort of thing? I think, and again, tell me what you think afterwards, but I think what's going on is I think he's being very intentional in the comparison that he's making between what these people were doing before fishing and what they will be doing now, fishing for people. I think the point that Jesus is making is, is that now they have a higher calling, A higher identity even. Literally, he says, I will make you to become fishers of men or or fishers of people. See, they're no longer just fishermen. That's not all they do now. No, they have an even greater job, and that is to tell other people about Jesus. Now, again, don't mishear me. I'm not saying that our ordinary jobs don't matter at all. Uh, I'm not saying that the only thing that matters in life is telling people about Jesus. Our jobs do matter. They give us money to provide for our family. 
how they contribute to the functioning of society. They even hopefully help people. But at the same time, if you follow Jesus, you must not ever think that your ordinary job is the most important thing that you do. Because the most important thing that you can do, that any of us can do, is to tell other people about Jesus. I mean, it just makes sense logically, doesn't it? If Jesus has died for our sins and he is the only one who can give us eternal life, then what greater, more important thing is there than to tell people this life-saving message? Whenever someone becomes a Christian, they are given a higher calling, not just to be fishermen, not just to do our ordinary jobs, but to be fishers of men, to call people into the kingdom. Uh, In Australia, the Australian Army have a really cool ad uh, on TV that they use to try and recruit people into the reserves. It is such a good ad. It's so cool. I've been tempted to join up because it's just really, it look, looks really cool. I haven't, but uh, it, was, it was a pretty cool ad. And in the ad, uh, what, what happens is it just shows ordinary people at work. So you've got nurses, tradies, teachers, businessmen, uh, and they're all just going about their, their ordinary uh, day's work. But then all of a sudden they, they pull apart uh, s- some of their clothes and underneath they're wearing their camo army uniform. Uh, and it's such a cool ad. It's like they're Superman, you know, and they're just pulling apart their, their clothes and, and, and it shows actually underneath, I'm part of the army reserves. And I think that Mark is actually making a similar point about us when, we, when we're called to follow Jesus. See, you may be a teacher or a nurse or a musician or a doctor or a researcher. You might be in business or finance. You might be a mum rugged up dropping off her kids at the school gates or someone who's now retired. But pull, pull away at that outer shirt and there is a kingdom uniform underneath. There is a higher calling. And no matter who you are, no matter what you do, we are all called to share the gospel. A couple of weeks ago, I had my matriculation formal dinner. For those who don't know, I'm doing a PhD at Cambridge. And we had this formal dinner. It was the most Harry Potter event I've ever been to in my life. And, uh, and one of the things that you do is you have to sign a book. It's like this ancient book that you sign to mark your entry into the college. And it's a really long line that you have to wait to sign this book. It's like a half an hour wait, and you're just sort of standing in alphabetical order waiting. Anyway, I was standing next to this guy who was doing a, a PhD in chemistry. And so we start talking, obviously, first question, what do you do? What are you doing? And uh, I start hearing about his chemistry PhD, pretend that I understand what he's talking about and all that. And then he turns to me, well, what are you doing? Now, how do I answer that question? I could say, oh, well, I'm doing a PhD in theology and religious studies. Or I could say, oh, well, I'm studying the Bible. I'm looking at Jesus. And that's a much better way of saying it because it gets a good conversation. That's what I say. I say, I'm studying the Bible. I'm looking at Jesus. And he was kind of a bit confused at first when I explained. And then he asked me after a while, he asked me a brilliant question. He said, well, what's one interesting thing about the Bible? Isn't that a great question? It's not, sir, how can I be saved? But it's pretty close to that, isn't it? It's a great question. So I said, well, let let me tell you a story. I told him the story of the the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee. And I talked to him about grace and what an odd idea grace is. It was a great conversation. He'd never heard of the concept of grace before. And we had a great chat about God and whether you can know him. 
Now, there I was at a matriculation formal dinner, waiting in line, ready to sign a book. But when I pull away at that ridiculous gown that I had on, (laughs) what was underneath? There was my kingdom uniform. And no matter who we are, no matter where we are, we are given this job. And so have a think about it. Are you in business? Your job is not just to make profits, it's to profit the advance of the kingdom of God. Are you a teacher? Your job is not just to teach people mass, it's to teach people the gospel. Are you a doctor? You're not just called to save lives, but to save souls. Do you realise your higher calling? So have a think about it. Who has God put in your path in this coming week? Do they know that you are a Christian? Do you know what they believe? And could you maybe give them a book or invite them to an event? We've got a thousand events coming up with with Christmas, it seems, with all the different carols events and everything that you could invite them to. Could you invite them to something, to, to hear more about Jesus? Pull away at that outer shirt and remember the uniform underneath. Well, let's try and bring this together. I think for those of us who've been a Christian for a long time, it can be easy to forget what a big deal it is that Jesus has called you. Isn't that incredible? The king of God's kingdom, the Lord of the universe, has called little insignificant me to follow him. Little insignificant you to follow him. It's very easy to forget the magnitude and the privilege of this call. Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher of the 1800s, said of serving the Lord, To serve the Lord is the highest honour. How men pride themselves on being attached to the train of great men. How proud they are of wearing the livery of princes. But what must it be to have God the eternal for your master? To have Jesus Christ as your gracious helper, the Holy Spirit as your divine guide in all that you're called to do. To serve the Lord is to stand on a level with the angels to worship the same master as they do who are in the presence of the divine majesty. It is better to serve God than rule a kingdom. Nay, he is both a king and a priest who has thoroughly entered into the service of the Most High. Called to follow, sent to fish. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would impress upon us the great privilege that it is when you call us. And Father, this morning your son calls everyone here to follow him. And we pray that we would hear that call, that we would turn, that we would drop our nets, that we would leave behind everything else, putting Jesus first. And we pray that you would send us out to fish, calling people into your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.